footsteps behind you as you enter the woods. Night draws back its cape. Light illumines your path. Open your eyes. Listen. Welcome to Dark Softly Tales. Dark stories for dark hearts. I'm Mav Sky. Good evening, and welcome to Your Nightmares, where we like to keep it dark and undescribable, but not unmentionable, here at Dark Softly Tales. This is your host, Mav. I hope everyone who celebrated Thanksgiving had a lovely Thanksgiving. We are keeping it short and sweet again this week, as I have a new husky puppy that has been keeping me on my toes. (laughs) This week, H.P. Lovecraft continues to keep it creepy in the third part of The Color Out of Space. Take my hand and hang on tight as we journey into the dark softly. The Color Out of Space by H.P. Lovecraft Narrated by Mavsky Part 3 Three days later, Nahum burst into Amy's kitchen in the early morning, and in the absence of his host, stammered out a desperate tale once more, while Mrs. Pierce listened in a clutching fright. It was little Merwin this time. He was gone. He had gone out late at night with a lantern and a pail for water, and had never come back. He had been going to pieces for days, and hardly knew what he was about. Screamed at everything. There had been a frantic shriek from the yard then, but before the father could get to the door, the boy was gone. There was no glow from the lantern he had taken, and of the child himself, no trace. At the time, Nahum thought the lantern and pail were gone too. But when dawn came, and the man had plodded back from his all-night search of the woods and fields, he had found some very curious things near the well. There was a crushed and apparently somewhat melted mass of iron, which had certainly been the lantern, while a bent handle and twisted iron hoops beside it, both half-fused, seemed to hint at the remnants of the pail. That was all. Nahum was past imagining. Mrs. Pierce was blank, and Amy, when he had reached home and heard the tale, could give no guess. Merwin was gone, and there would be no use in telling the people around, who shunned all gardeners now. No use either in telling the city people at Arkham who laughed at everything. Thad was gone, and now Merwin was gone. Something was creeping and creeping and waiting to be seen and heard. Nahum would go soon, and he wanted Amy to look after his wife and Zanus if they survived him. It must all be a judgment of some sort, though he could not fancy what for, since he had always walked uprightly in the Lord's ways so far as he knew. For over two weeks, Amy saw nothing of Nahum, 
And then, worried about what might have happened, he overcame his fears and paid the gardener place a visit. There was no smoke from the great chimney, and for a moment, the visitor was apprehensive of the worst. The aspect of the whole farm was shocking. Grayish withered grass and leaves on the ground, vines falling and brittle wreckage in archaic walls and gables, and great bare trees clawing at the gray November sky with a studied malevolence that Amy could not but feel had come from some subtle change in the tilt of the branches. But Nahum was alive, after all. He was weak and lying on a couch in the low-sealed kitchen, but perfectly conscious and able to give simple orders to Zanus. The room was deadly cold, and as Amy visibly shivered, the host shouted huskily to Zanus for more wood. Wood, indeed, was sorely needed, since the cavernous fireplace was unlit and empty, with a cloud of soot blowing about in the chill wind that came down from the chimney. Presently, Nahum asked him if the extra wood had made him any more comfortable, and then Amy saw what had happened. The stoutest cord had broken at last, and the hapless farmer's mind was proof against more sorrow. Questioning tactfully, Amy could get no clear data at all about the missing Zanus. In the well. He lives in the well, was all that the clouded father would say. Then there flashed across the visitor's mind a sudden thought of the mad wife, and he changed his line of inquiry. Nabby? Why, here she is, was the surprised response of poor Nahum and Amy soon saw that he must search for himself. Leaving the harmless babbler on the couch, he took the keys from their nail beside the door and climbed the creaking stairs to the attic. It was very close and noisome up there, and no sound could be heard from any direction. Of the four doors in sight, only one was locked, and on this he tried various keys of the ring he had taken. The third key proved the right one, and after some fumbling, Amy threw open the low, white door. It was quite dark inside, for the window was small and half obscured by the crude wooden bars, and Amy could see nothing at all on the wide planked floor. The stench was beyond enduring, and before proceeding further, he had to retreat to another room and returned with his lungs filled with breathable air. When he did enter, he saw something dark in the corner, and upon seeing it more clearly, he screamed outright. While he screamed, he thought a momentary cloud eclipsed the window, and a second later, he felt himself brushed as if by some hateful current or vapor. Strange colors danced before his eyes, and had not a present horror numbed him, he would have thought of the globule and the meteor that the geologist hammer had shattered, and of the morbid vegetation that had sprouted in the morning. As it was, he thought only of the blasphemous monstrosity which confronted him, and which all too clearly had shared the nameless fate of young Thaddeus and the livestock. But the terrible thing about the horror was that it very slowly and perceptibly moved as it continued to crumble. 
Amy would give me no added particulars of this scene. But the shape in the corner does not reappear in his tail as a moving object. There are things which cannot be mentioned, and what is done in common humanity is sometimes cruelly judged by the law. I gathered that no moving thing was left in that attic room, and that to leave anything capable of motion there would have been a deed so monstrous as to damn any accountable being to eternal torment. Anyone but a stolid farmer would have fainted or gone mad, but Amy walked conscious through that low doorway and locked their cursed secret behind him. There would be Nahum to deal with now. He must be fed and tended and removed to some place where he could be cared for. Commencing his descent of the dark stairs, Amy heard a thud below him. He even thought a scream had been suddenly choked off and recalled nervously the clammy vapor which had brushed by him in that frightful room above. What presence had his cry and entry started up? Halted by some vague fear, he heard still further sounds below. There was a sort of heavy dragging and a most detestably sticky noise, as of some fiendish and unclean species of suction. With an associative sense goaded to feverish heights, he thought unaccountably of what he had seen upstairs. Good God, what eldritch dream world was this into which he had blundered? He dared move neither backward nor forward, but stood there trembling at the black curve of the boxed-in staircase. Every trifle of the scene burned itself into his brain. The sounds... The sense of dread expectancy, the darkness, the steepness of the narrow step, and merciful heaven, the faint but unmistakable luminosity of all the woodwork in sight, steps, sides, exposed laths, and beams alight. Then there burst forth a frantic whinny from Amy's horse outside, followed at once by a clatter which told of a frenzied runaway. In another moment, horse and buggy had gone, beyond earshot, leaving the frightened man on the dark stairs to guess what had sent them. But that was not all. There had been another sound out there, a sort of liquid splash. Water. It must have been the well. He had left Hero untied near it, and a buggy wheel must have brushed the coping and knocked in a stone and still the pale phosphorescence glowed in that detestably ancient woodwork. God, how old the house was, most of it built before 1670, and the gambrel roof no later than 1730. A feeble scratching on the floor downstairs now sounded distinctly, and Amy's grip tightened on a heavy stick he had picked up in the attic for some purpose. Slowly nerving himself, he finished his descent and walked boldly toward the kitchen. But he did not complete the walk, because what he sought was no longer there. It had come to meet him, and it was still alive after a fashion. Whether it had crawled or whether it had been dragged by an external forces, Amy could not say, but the death had been at it. Everything had happened in the last half hour, but collapse graying, and disintegration were already far advanced. 
There was a horrible brittleness, and dry fragments were scaling off. Amy could not touch it, but looked horrifiedly into the distorted parody that had been a face. What was it, Nahum? What was it? He whispered, and the cleft, bulging lips were just able to crack out a final answer. Nothing. Nothing. The color, it burns. Cold and wet, but it burns. It lived in the well. I seen it. A kind of smoke. Just like the flowers last spring. The well shone at night. Thad had seen it. Merwin and Zanus, everything alive, sucking the life out of everything. And that stone, it must have come, and that stone poisoned the whole place. Don't know what it wants. That round thing, the men from the college dug out in the stone, they smashed it. It was the same color, just the same, like the flowers and plants. Must have been more of them. Seeds and seeds. They growed. I seen it the first time this week. Must have got strong on Zenus. He was a big boy, full of life. It beats down your mind and then gets ye, burns ye up in the well water. You was right about that. Evil water. Zanus never came back from that well. Can't get away. Drowsy. Ye know something's coming at ya, but taint no use. I seen it time an ancient sect Zanus was took. Where's Nabby, Ammy? My head's no good. Don't know how long since I fed her. It'll get her if we ain't careful. Just the color. Her face is getting to have that color sometimes towards night, and it burns, and it sucks. It come from some place where things ain't as they are here. One of them professors said so, and he was right. Look out, Amy. It'll do something more. It sucks the life out. But that was all. That which spoke could speak no more, because it had completely caved in. Amy laid a red-checked tablecloth over what was left and reeled out the back door into the fields. He climbed the slope to the ten-acre pasture and stumbled home by the north road and the woods. He could not pass that well from which his horses had run away. He had looked at it through the window and had seen that no stone was missing from the rim. Then the lurching buggy had not dislodged anything after all. The splash had been something else. Something which went into the well after it had done with poor Nahum. When Amy reached his house, the horses and buggy had arrived before him and thrown his wife into fits of anxiety. Reassuring her without explanations, he set out at once for Arkham and notified the authorities that the Gardner family was no more. He indulged in no details, but merely told of the deaths of Nahum and Nabi, that of Thaddeus being already known, 
and mentioned that the cause seemed to be the strange element which had killed the livestock. He also stated that Merwin and Zanus had disappeared. There was considerable questioning at the police station, and in the end, Amy was compelled to take three officers to the Gardner farm, together with a coroner, the medical examiner, and the veterinary who had treated the diseased animals. He went much against his will, for most of the afternoon was advancing, and he feared the fall of night over that accursed place. But it was some comfort to have so many people with him. The six men drove out in a Democrat wagon, following Amy's buggy, and arrived at the pest-ridden farmhouse about four o'clock. Used as the officers were to gruesome experiences, not one remained unmoved at what was found in the attic and under the red-checked tablecloth on the floor below. The whole aspect of the farm with its gray desolation was terrible enough, but those two crumbling objects were beyond all bounds. No one could look long at them, and even the medical examiner admitted that there was very little to examine. Specimens could be analyzed, of course, so he busied himself in obtaining them. And here, it develops that a very puzzling aftermath occurred at the college laboratory, where the two files of dust were finally taken. Under the spectroscope, both samples gave off an unknown spectrum, in which many of the baffling bands were precisely like those with the strange meteor had yielded in the previous year. The property of emitting this spectrum vanished in a month. The dust thereafter, consisting mainly of alkyne phosphates and carbonates. Amy would not have told the men about the well if he had thought they meant to do something then and there. It was getting towards sunset, and he was anxious to be away. But he could not help glancing nervously at the stony curb by the great sweep. And when a detective questioned him, he admitted that Nahum had feared something down there so much so that he had never even thought of searching it for Merwin and Zanus. After that, nothing would do, but that they empty and explore the well immediately. So Amy had to wait, trembling while pail after pail of rank water was hauled up and splashed on the soaking ground outside. The men sniffed in disgust at the fluid, and toward the last held their noses against the fodder they were uncovering. It was not so long a job as they had feared it would be, since the water was phenomenally low. There is no need to speak too exactly of what they found. Merwin and Zanus were both there, in part, though the vestiges were mainly skeletal. There were also a small deer and a large dog in about the same state, and a number of bones of small animals. The ooze and slime at the bottom seemed inexplicably porous and bubbling, and a man who descended on hands hold with a long pole found that he could sink the wooden shaft to any depth in the mud of the floor without meeting any solid obstruction. Twilight had fallen now, and ladders were brought from the house. Then, when it seemed that nothing further could be gained from the well, Everyone went indoors and conferred in the ancient sitting room, while the intermittent light of a spectral half-moon played wanly on the gray desolation outside. 
The men were frankly nonplussed by the entire case and could find no convincing common element to link the strange vegetable conditions, the unknown disease of livestock and humans, and the unaccountable deaths of Merwin and Zanus in the tainted well. They had heard the common country talk, it's true, but could not believe that anything contrary to natural law had occurred. No doubt, the meteor had poisoned the soil, but the illness of persons and animals who had eaten nothing grown in that soil was another matter. Was it the well water? Very possibly. It might be a good idea to analyze it. But what particular madness could have made both boys jump into the well? Their deeds were so similar, and the fragments showed that they had both suffered from the gray, brittle death. Why was everything so gray and brittle? Who likes dark stories? People who have experienced a touch of the dark side. People who are a little wiser to the world. People who like their bones chilled and their spines tingled. People like you and me. It's hard to find a story these days that write on the dark side with a touch of whimsy, humor, and heart. Mavsky spreads her dark wings and solves this problem for you. Head on over to Amazon and type Mavsky's name into the search engine. M-A-V-S-K-Y-E. At Amazon, you'll find her Tales to Chill Your Bones series, Girl Clown Hatchet series, Supergirl series, her cult classic novel, Wanted Single Rails, and of course, her brand new release, Cold Hangs the Midnight. Choose your dark flavor and head on over to Amazon today. <laughs>